Okay, Soulmates, plenty to discuss on this Monday, January 30th. We want to welcome you to Fox Soul's Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicole Delay-Corte. We are honored to stand behind this desk each day to take you on a journey across Black America and the stories impacting our people. We're going to continue to bring you our news, our views, and our voice, topping our news today. Communities across the country are continuing to express their outrage over the death of Tyree Nichols as a sixth officer has been relieved of his duties in connection to Nichols' death. Several protests across the nation lasted all weekend following the release of body cam footage by the Memphis Police Department. Blake Hansen has the latest, and we do want to warn you, some parts of the story may be hard to watch. Video shows officers yanking Tyree Nichols out of his car during a traffic stop January 7th. While it was reportedly over reckless driving, the Memphis chief said Friday she hasn't been able to substantiate that. You hear Nichols telling the officers he is complying. Then it's hard to tell what happens before you see a taser fired as Nichols runs away from the officers. Some of the officers eventually catch up to him in a neighborhood where he's taken down. A camera atop a pole in the area pivots to capture what happens as more officers arrive. Audio from another body camera captures some of what officers were saying to Nichols. And you also hear him call for help. Nichols is later propped up against a squad car. Sit up, man. And as they wait for more first responders, the officers stand in a circle, sometimes smiling and joking. Man, I was hitting him with straight haymakers, dog. The Memphis chief has said she wants to know what had the officers at such high intensity that during the initial stop, they immediately yanked Nichols out of the car. While standing around, some officers referred back to what Nichols was doing before he was stopped, claiming he drove into oncoming traffic. Nichols was taken to a hospital. He died three days later. The five officers were fired for violating department policy, then indicted and arrested on murder and other charges. Memphis Police Chief C.J. Davis had warned ahead of time the videos would show more than just police misconduct. This is not just a professional failing. This is a failing of basic humanity toward another individual. The Memphis Police Department chose the timing of the video release so people could get home from school and work with the anticipation it would lead to uproar, not just in Memphis, but elsewhere. Dallas Police Chief Eddie Garcia speaking before the video's release. I have not seen the video yet, uh, but people that I trust uh, that have been in law enforcement for a very long time have. Uh, and they say it's terrible. When the video dropped at 6 o'clock Friday night, protesters were already in the streets around the country. In Memphis, as well as in Dallas, where protesters gathered outside police department headquarters. Protests are expected to continue into the weekend and perhaps beyond. Nichols' family is asking for peace. We want peace. We do not want any type of uproar. We do not want any type of disturbance. We want peaceful protests. Blake Hansen, Fox 4 News. 
Meanwhile, the Memphis police chief recently disbanded the special crimes unit the officers were a part of as the Nichols family prepares to visit the White House. The name of the group was called the Scorpion Unit and stood for Street Crimes Operation uh, to restore peace in our neighborhoods. According to the department, the division launched in November of 2021 and included 40 officers split into four teams who patrolled high crime spots. Now, this comes as Representative Stephen Horsford, chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus, has invited the Nichols family to Washington. He wants to meet with President Biden to discuss swift police reform. Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated is speaking out since one of the officers responsible for Tyree Nichols' death is a part of their organization. 24-year-old Tadarius Bean was once the president of the controversial Omega Sci-Fi's Ada Zeta chapter at the University of Mississippi, known for hazy rituals, including paddling a man's testicles up to 200 times. In a statement, director Ricky Lewis made no mention to one of the officers being a part of the fraternity, but says that the tragic death of Nichols is unacceptable. He goes on to condemn the actions of the officers and extended sympathies to the family and friends of Nichols. Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity was founded uh, back in 1911 at Howard University in Washington, D.C., and they uh, advertise itself as the, quote, first international fraternal organization founded on the campus of a historically black college and believes friendship is essential to the soul. You know, folks were um, kind of waiting pretty much all weekend long um, as it became, as folks became aware that uh, a couple of those officers were members of that uh, fraternity. I, I want to say by way of uh, maybe a bracelet or something that was that was being worn. And I found it to be very interesting as uh, Ben Crump is also a member of uh, that uh, fraternity. And, and I do believe he served as their national lawyer, if you will, for a number uh, of, of years. Uh, I don't think he's in that position uh, at this moment. Uh, but I, I was looking to you know, maybe if, if he would make a statement or if the fraternity would make a statement um, as a whole, and, and they did. I found it very interesting that they did not individually and or address any of those officers affiliated or members uh, of their organization. So I'm sure they're going to um, continue to address things behind closed doors. Yeah, and I think it's also important to note sort of, you know, why this statement is relevant in addition to everything that you just laid out. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are a number of incidents that have been document documented uh, uh, related to folks being harmed, um, folks being um, uh, involved with alleged assaults, uh, related to Omega Sci-Fi, you know, hazing uh, process and hazing rituals in places like Norfolk, Virginia and Brooklyn, uh, New York, among others. Uh, and, you know, I think part of what's caught a lot of people's attention about this uh, is, you know, some of the, the severe incidents like the paddling mm -hmm. uh, that you reference. Mm -hmm. You know, how much of that is a part of the culture uh, of at least some of these chapters uh, of Omega Sci-Fi, certainly the chapter uh, that uh, one of the officers is a part of. It and may so have extended over into. I am yeah. sure mm -hmm. uh, that uh, this story is not going anywhere and mm -hmm. folks are going to uh, continue to follow this. Uh, while we're talking about the culture of policing, mm -hmm. I think uh, there are a lot of people that rightfully are, are looking at the culture mm -hmm. that some of these police officers come out of, including the culture of the fraternity uh, that uh, one of the officers uh, formerly served as president of. Agreed. All right, let's move to North Carolina where police are being investigated. Uh, investigated after a disabled man who was complying with commands was shot 
uh, on his porch uh, of his home. Earlier this month, the footage of a disturbing police-involved shooting was publicly released. A home surveillance video showed a husband and his wife sleeping in their mobile home when they were awakened by cops on speakers demanding they come outside. Tied and discombobulated, the North Carolina couple obliged as uh, the man opened the door with his hands up. Within seconds, he was shot several times and fell backward onto his floor. Lawmakers from both sides are now sounding the alarm on police reform as many say the culture of police could now impact anyone. A mom of three is dead after being sucked into the engine of a plane. 34-year-old Courtney Edwards was working as a ramp agent for Piedmont Airlines at Montgomery Regional Airport on New Year's Eve. The NTSB safety report says the plane's engines were left running after it landed due to an aircraft issue. Edwards was reportedly sucked into the engine while placing a safety cone. Two safety meetings were held to alert the crew before the plane arrived, but other safety protocols were not followed. A GoFundMe has been set up to cover funeral expenses and child care. So far, $100,000 has been raised. Sad news, uh, comedian Ricky Smiley is mourning the loss of his eldest child, comedian Brandon Smiley. In addition to Ricky, Brandon is also survived by his daughter, Storm, his mom, Brenda, brother Malik, and sisters, DeEssence, Taylor, and Aaron. Smiley broke the news on Instagram in a video asking people to pray for his son's mother and siblings. No word on the cause of death. Brandon Smiley was 32 years old. And I saw uh, Ricky uh, kind of make this announcement. I think he went live uh, over the weekend. Um, again, no word on the cause of death. I remember seeing his son. Uh, Ricky had a, you know, uh, a very successful uh, reality show. And you saw the inner workings and the dynamics of his family, a very honest portrayal um, as, you you know, relationships, as we know, in families go up and down. Um, but but, uh, you know, in, in, in this time, um, it's just sad to to hear situations like this. So we continue to send our love and prayers uh, to the Smiley uh, family and that that entire tribe. Absolutely. Yeah. So young. So young. Yeah. All righty. A Philadelphia man is facing life in prison now that he has pled guilty to murder. Maurice Lewis has been charged for the death of his mother, stepfather, and his two brothers, 18-year-old Saeed and 7-year-old Les Jr. Police say when officers arrived on scene, they found Lewis naked on the second floor drinking vodka with a rifle case on the floor. He has now pleaded guilty to four counts of third-degree murder. Lewis's family members say he has a long history of mental illness. In Seattle, four white men with white supremacist ties will spend the next three years behind bars for a 2018 assault on a black DJ at a bar in a suburb of Linwood. Under a plea agreement, prosecutors and the defense recommended just over three years. All but one defendant was sentenced to three and a half years or more. All four were previously convicted of committing a hate crime and making false statements. The man they attacked, Tyrone Smith, said outside the courtroom that his life is forever changed. Smith now struggles with anxiety and uses a cane. The judge also ordered the defendants to pay nearly $171,000 in restitution to cover lost wages and medical bills. He called the attack of a modern day unhooded KKK. Mm. And former NFL linebacker FS, and FS1 host and Texas native Emmanuel Acho is under fire for his most recent comments surrounding generational trauma. Now, he recently appeared on Van Lathan's talk show. Take a look. 
when white people say, well, racism doesn't exist. I know why they say that. Cause I've been in them rooms when they saying that mm-hmm. when I kick it with black people and they're like, all white people are racist. Hmm. I know why you're saying that all the while I have the privilege and luxury of not having generational trauma because my parents were born in Nigeria. So man, my method is removing some of the sting um, because I don't have that sting and trying to deliver a message in a manner that people can receive it. Hmm. Okay, Acho received backlash following the interview online, as many thought his comments were elitist to other American blacks and uneducated due to the historic issues Nigerians have had in this country. Achoa uh, went on Twitter to defend himself, saying that's not what he meant, instead saying that it was a reach uh, the host was making. Achoa hosts the Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man podcast and uh, parlayed that success in to a New York Times best-selling book. And Nikordala is having a little bit of uh, the, the, the Africa uh, heritage, uh, along with uh, you know, the African-American um, experience, having lived in D.C. Uh, that is home to a lot of uh, folks with, with African um, origins, if you will. I hear this conversation a lot, that they, they, you know, we, they, they feel that we kind of classify ourselves as second-class citizens, whereas, you know, in the in in the various countries uh, of, of Africa, they are, um, you know, the majority and don't see themselves as such. And so there's kind of a clash maybe with this philosophy, uh, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I think I've, there's- I've heard that over, you know, the years. Yeah, I mean, I think there, there's a tension that exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, as somebody who is, you know, my mom is black American, my mm-hmm. father is Ghanaian, my father grew up in Ghana mm-hmm. uh, when they were, he was born in the Ghana when they were under British rule. Oh, wow. Um, uh, in fact, uh, Ghana became independent when he was seven years old. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you know, there's a pan-African experience uh, that uh, I think is being missed in this conversation. Sometimes when we talk about generational trauma, we mm-hmm. talk about it uh, in a very narrow sort of way, but the legacies of colonialism on the continent uh, have also created uh, traumas uh, and have also created difficulties uh, for folks there. And so I just think it's an opportunity for more learning, mm-hmm. uh, an opportunity to facilitate more understanding, to facilitate a stronger connection between black Americans and black folks across the diaspora. And mm-hmm. so. You know, when I hear comments like that, um, you know, glass half full, I see it as an opportunity to mm-hmm. have uh, a, uh, a more dynamic conversation um, as opposed to having a limited conversation that just um, provides fodder yeah. uh, for social media, but doesn't really, uh, you know, move people towards any greater level of understanding. I think, I think over the years, the, the the disconnect has eased a bit. And when I say disconnect, I say disconnect between Africans and black Americans. And, and that sort of kind of rub with maybe the way we see ourselves versus the way they may see themselves and then come to this country, um, especially with, you know, the open arms of welcome to, to, to move back to Africa. There's a big movement of, of American, black Americans moving uh, to Africa and also the whole Ghana thing to come back and discover your roots. So so I, I think that tension still might be there and, and, and it might be because, as you mentioned, just um, um, a, a disconnect and not a lot of conversation surrounding, you know, culturally how things are a bit different um, when you talk about countries in Africa and, and then black, uh, black Americans. And I think certainly related to this national conversation around reparations, mm. you know, there are, you know, folks that are a part of certain groups that, you know, um, 
really are at odds with other folks in terms of, well, which black folks should benefit should from it. reparations. So yeah. this conversation um, isn't going anywhere, but mm -hmm. I, I hope that we can uh, use this as an opportunity to facilitate more understanding. To and get on code and about less something. Less division. There we go, there we go. Coming up, the hope of adding more color into the classroom, the new push to increase the number of black male teachers. Plus, new changes from the FDA to make it easier for you to stay healthy. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. The Mississippi Maternal Mortality Report shows that the maternal mortality rate increased by nearly 9% between 2013 and 2019. Black non-Hispanic women had a rate four times higher than white non-Hispanic women. So of the of the maternal deaths directly related to pregnancy, 87.5% were determined to be preventable. Now the grim figures arrive as the state is expecting more births each year as a result of the U.S. Supreme Court decision last summer overturning the 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling, which had established a nationwide constitutional protection for abortion. The court used a Mississippi case to overturn the case, a legal effort the state's leaders have celebrated. Mississippi's Republican-controlled state legislature has been debating whether to extend Medicaid coverage from 60 days to a full year after childbirth. Advisors to the Food and Drug Administration have unanimously endorsed retiring the original coronavirus shot in favor of one that targets both the original strain of the coronavirus and the Omicron variant. The recommendation, if adopted by the FDA, will have minimal impact on most people, affecting unvaccinated people who have not yet received any doses of the vaccine. The FDA also sought input from its advisors on several topics, including whether the agency should switch to a once-a-year vaccine schedule that is akin to the annual shot for the influenza vaccine. Many experts cautioned that while following a flu vaccine model might be a practical option, the coronavirus has yet to settle into a reliable seasonal pattern. And the FDA is working to make it easier for you to choose nutritious food with new labels. Now, this is what it could look like. Instead of using daily percentages, things like calories, saturated fat, sodium are labeled as high, medium, or low. Some are even going to be color coded. Now, advocates say this is what nutrition labels look like in other countries and the U.S. needs to get on board. I'd like that. All right. Your grocery bill is set to go up even more this year, if you can believe it. That's according to new research by the Department of Agriculture, which predicts the price of meat will jump nearly 13 percent. Dairy will go up by 8 percent. Fats and oils may cost nearly 17 percent more. Unfortunately, the cost of dining out is also expected to increase by about 8%. All right, soulmates, tomorrow will be the last day. Microsoft will offer Windows 10 to be downloaded by you. But Microsoft says it will still support Windows 10 and will keep up with security updates until October of 2025. Now, this termination comes as the company pushes for people to buy its newest operation, you best it, uh, Windows 11. Uh, it is not clear if other retailers 
it can continue selling digital and physical copies of Windows 10 after Tuesday. The city of Chicago's latest phase in debt relief sets its sights on administrative debt, the sort of debt incurred by tickets for noise violations or littering. The standard administrative debt relief program is in place through March 31st. Individuals and businesses can pay off their original fine amount and the city will waive any penalties or fees that have accrued since the ticket was first issued. Now, no application or income information is required for this program. According to the city comptroller, an upcoming second phase of the program, ADR hardship relief, will allow income eligible individuals to receive a discount on their original debt. That program begins in April, so mark your calendars. But Chicagans can submit applications immediately on the city's website. So, according to the Department of Education, very few of the nation's K-12 classrooms are taught by black men. Less than 7% of teachers are black and just 2% are men. Research shows that students who have at least one black teacher will be nearly 40% less likely to drop out of high school and almost one third more likely to enroll in college. In 2021, the Center for Black Educator Development created the Black Teacher Pipeline. That's an initiative that aims to recruit and train the next generation of black educators. The project, in partnership with the United Negro College Fund, has fellows commit to teaching in one of the project's partner cities, that's Philadelphia, Camden, and right here in Detroit. Students are recruited as young as high school and are offered scholarships and paid internships. And I know Professor Nicordelai Corte, this is, this is your thing here as you represent that very small 2% of black uh, teachers in our classrooms. That's right, that's right. I mean, it's part of the reason. Figure like this are mm -hmm. part of the reason why it's important um, to me mm -hmm. to pay it forward by uh, being in the classroom, by, by teaching, by pouring into the next generation of leaders. Uh, it makes uh, an incredible difference. I know I would not uh, be an educator today mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, if, I, if not for a number of my professors, including uh, the professor that tapped me on the shoulder in, in my master's program, oh, wow. uh, Dr. Steve Kernan at Pepperdine, who mm -hmm. said, you know, have you ever thought about working on your doctorate? Um, and just raising that question mm -hmm. and seeing a black man uh, in academia uh, really uh, seeded the possibility, yeah. you know, that uh, I could achieve that and more importantly that I could pass that on mm -hmm. uh, to the next generation. And so uh, we need more black educators, K yeah. through 12 and in higher education. Uh, and I think the work of, uh, of this group is timely. Mm -hmm. uh, there really is no time like the present for a project like this. I felt like, and, and this is just my observation, I felt like when I moved south, so you're born and raised in Detroit, I did like 12 years in Chicago, and then from there I went deep south to Mobile, Alabama, and I felt like for me, I saw more uh, black male teachers. I don't know if that's just more a part of the culture where, you know, education um, is, is really, you know, uh, celebrated and, and maybe those young men are more encouraged like this initiative 
initiative to kind of move into education. I know a lot of the guys were also, you know, teachers, but they were uh, coaches, but they were teachers as well. Um, but I just, I was encouraged by that. And that's not to say that it doesn't happen in other parts of the country. Um, but I don't know what might be going on in the South where I just saw more of a concentration of black male uh, teachers in particular. And it was, it was pretty encouraging to me. I hadn't seen that. I mean, I think maybe part of it might be. living South before like that. Part of it might be because there are so many more black folks that live in the South. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. you know, to the point that this organization's make, making, you know, when you see it, you can believe That's it. That's right. Right. And so That's when you're right. when you're surrounded by black educators, you know, it becomes, you know, a a more um, realistic career mm -hmm. path mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of folks. And so I love that this organization is starting yeah. real young mm -hmm. uh, and they are program. they are they are talking to folks in high school uh, to begin to get them uh, a part of that pipeline. And so keep up the good work. That's good stuff. Still ahead, a newly released app to help folks like you at the border uh, is messing up big time. That's right. We're going to tell you the issues with the new immigration app and what's being done to fix it. You're watching Fox Hills Black Report. We'll be right back. We welcome you back. Just in case you're joining us, let's take a look back at today's top stories. We start in Memphis, where the police chief recently disbanded the special crimes unit the officers were a part of as the Nichols family prepares to visit the White House. The name of the group was called the Scorpion Unit and stood for Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. Now, according to the department, the division launched that back in November of 2021 and included 40 officers split into to four teams who patrolled high crime spots. This comes as Representative Stephen Horsford, chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus, has invited the Nichols family to Washington. He wants to, them to meet uh, with President Biden to discuss swift police reform. And to North Carolina, where police are being investigated after a disabled man who was complying with commands was shot on the porch of his home. Earlier this month, footage of a disturbing police-involved shooting was publicly released. A home surveillance video showed a husband and his wife sleeping in their mobile home when they were awakened by cops on speakers demanding that they come outside. The North Carolina couple obliged and as the man opened the door with his hands up, within seconds he was shot several times and fell backwards onto his floor. Lawmakers from both sides are now sounding the alarm on police reform as many say the culture of police could now impact anyone. And a mom of three is dead after being sucked into the engine of a plane. 34-year-old Courtney Edwards was working as a ramp agent for Piedmont Airlines at Montgomery Regional Airport on New Year's Eve. The NTSB safety report says the plane's engines were left running after it landed due to an aircraft issue. Edwards was reportedly sucked into the engine while placing a safety cone. Two safety meetings were held to alert the crew before the plane arrived, but other safety programs protocols were not followed. A GoFundMe has been set up to cover several expenses and child care. And lastly, in Seattle, four white men with white supremacist ties will spend the next three years behind bars for a 2018 assault on a black DJ at a bar in the suburb of Linwood, for those familiar with the area. Now, under a plea agreement, prosecutors and the defense recommended just over three years 
All but one defendant was sentenced to three and a half years or more. All four were previously convicted of committing a hate crime and making false statements. The man they attacked, Tyrone Smith, said outside the courthouse that his life is forever changed. Smith now struggles with anxiety and uses a cane. Now, the judge also ordered the defendants to pay nearly $170,000 in restitution to cover lost wages and medical bills. The quarter lie back to you. Thanks, Courtney. There's new frustration along the U.S. southern border. An app designed to help asylum seekers is causing a lot of confusion. A program aimed at reducing the number of people entering the U.S. illegally is facing backlash from those it's intended to help. CPB One is a mobile app serving as a one-stop shop for information about U.S. Customs and Border Protection policies. It launched in 2020, but earlier this month, the Biden administration began allowing migrants to use the app as a way to secure appointments to try and seek asylum here in the States. I'm waiting for the best to be able to enter the U.S. in a legal manner. New appointments are available every day starting at 6 a.m., but the vast amount of people trying to apply is overwhelming the system. Many aren't able to log in, while some who do say the app crashes before they're able to confirm their appointment. They can go to shelters. We can help people who do not know how to read, those who do not know how to enter the system. Some complain and say, but I don't even have a cell phone. Sadly, they do need a cell phone and email to communicate. And while applications are available in English and Spanish, critics say it lacks other languages popular with migrants, like Haitian Creole. Besides language barriers, critics say the app has issues detecting the photos some applicants use. Personas. Problems with people of African descent having difficulty taking the photo. The app is not recognizing the photos of these people. Officials have yet to comment on how many people are getting appointments, but recent numbers show illegal border crossings last month were up 40% from December of 2021. The American Association of University Professors is condemning Indiana University Northwest for firing Mark McPhail, a tenured black professor, after, alleged, uh, after he allegedly said, quote, words to the effect that the only way to end racism is to kill all the white people. Now, the organization concluded the committee cannot help drawing the sad conclusion that if Professor McPhail had not questioned the racism on campus, and at IU, he might have been spared, at least temporarily, from becoming a target of it. The report says the association says McPhail was given no hearing before his firing. Instead, the report also says he was fired in September 2021 when three campus police officers showed up at his Wisconsin home about 150 miles from the Gary campus and delivered a trespass notice threatening arrest if he entered university property. An optional training class on diversity for faculty at a Central Florida public college has been canceled so administrators can ensure it complies with a new state law known as the Stop Woke Act. The law prohibits teaching or business practices that contend members of one ethnic group are inherently racist and should feel guilt for past actions committed by others. Opponents say DeSantis doesn't have an accurate idea of what critical race theory is and argue that his motives are to suppress an accurate account of black history. A federal judge in Tallahassee last November issued a temporary injunction against the law and the measure is being challenged 
in two other cases. An Alabama judge has paved the way for officials to remove a Confederate monument placed a century ago at the center of a historic majority black city. The city's population is now more than 93% black. The Macon County Commission filed a lawsuit to regain control of the land, which is the first step toward removing the statue. Since 1909, the Confederate monument has stood in the center of Tuskegee, a city famous for Tuskegee University and known as the training ground for black pilots in World War II. The judge gave the Tuskegee chapter of the United Daughters of the Confederacy 60 days to retrieve and remove the monument. The group could appeal that ruling. A 174-year-old Island Church in Galveston, Texas, has received $100,000 of a $4 million grant aimed at preserving institutions that have influenced U.S. society. Reedy Chapel African Methodist Episcopal Church was one of 35 historic black churches to receive part of the grant to preserve its place of worship. A church official stated, quotes, the funds will be used to repair the building's exterior masonry and stucco and to restore the beautiful stained glass windows of the church. Reedy Chapel was the first and is the oldest operating African Methodist Episcopal Church in Texas. And several Virginia taxpayers are upset over a Nicole Hannah-Jones speaking engagement as the Virginia Public Library System is reportedly paying the 1619 Project creator over $35,000 for an upcoming hour-long speaking engagement. Now, according to the Fairfax County Times, the hefty price tag amounted to $589 per minute of Hannah-Jones' speech, where she will be speaking on themes from the 1619 Project. Some Fairfax residents were unhappy with Hannah Jones' appearance, calling it a, quote, misuse of public funds for propaganda programming. A program agreement form provided to Hannah Jones by the county noted the title of the speech, The 1619 Project, A New Origin Story. Hannah Jones is most well known for her 1619 Project, a collection of essays published by the New York Times that insists Americans' founding history uh, is steeped in more racism than has been traditionally taught. The NFL is expanding its partnership with the Players Coalition with a five-year extension and $15 million grant through its Inspire Change initiative to address racial and social justice issues. The NFL has already surpassed its $250 million commitment to combat systemic racism, supporting over 650 local nonprofits and nearly 2,000 grants from players. The Inspire Change initiative is focused on fostering mentorship, financial literacy, policing reform, and transition support for the formerly incarcerated. The Players Coalition works with 1,400 pro athletes to promote racial equity. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, what a difference a few years have made. Uh, you know, it seems, the knee. seems like just yesterday, <laughs> Colin Kaepernick, That's right. uh, you know, had taken a knee. Mm -hmm. And now we're preparing to listen to uh, Shirley Ralph sing the Black National Anthem yeah. uh, at the NFL. You know, Rihanna is performing. Jay-Z is a senior advisor to the NFL. And, and you have this... Uh, 
this among other uh, uh, initiatives by the NFL, mm -hmm. um, it seems like there are folks there that are about the work. And it yeah. seems like they have a, a team assembled that is uh, constantly challenging the NFL to do better. Um, now all we need is more black coaches. Mm -hmm. uh, Head coaches, and, that's and right. More black quarterbacks, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and more, quite frankly, just more opportunity. Mm -hmm. This is what this is about, mm -hmm. right? It's about creating opportunity where uh, we have uh, historically been shut out of opportunity, mm -hmm. uh, not just in front of the camera or behind the camera, but uh, uh, in positions of power, influence, and yeah. authority. And historically, there's always going to be, or always has been, pushback as as to when we try to move forward, uh, you know, with our story and our history, going back to the Virginia story uh, with Nicole uh, Hannah Jones and and that particular um, appearance. You know, when you look at the scheme of things, and if you've ever been, um, you know, able to tap into what uh, lecturers really make, that's at the low end of the totem pole. I can see folks having an issue, maybe because it's taxpayers dollars but my my little inside voice tells me that they probably have uh, issue or take issue with what she's coming to speak about as the 1619 project has taken on a lot of of, of, of outside criticism uh, because it is a truth that had not been discussed and talked about and it was you know um, uh, introduced on such a huge platform that being uh, the New York Times and garnered a lot of attention so you know if, if it's within context maybe you know Black History Month there's a special program going on I think it makes sense and and she charges what she charges yeah and <laughs> it, it is what it is you're you're, you're absolutely right <laughs> the price is the price the price is the price you know and is there issue really how much she's being paid or what she's talking because, about because if their issue was how much nicole hannah jones was being paid so then what's their counter offer hmm. how much should she be paid right I suspect it's not about payment at all, to your point. Mm -hmm. It's about content. That's right. Uh, and it's about censorship. Uh, it's about controlling the narrative. Uh, and that is what the uh, th this this racial justice movement has been in part about, narrative mm -hmm. change. That's mm -hmm. what the 1619 Project seeks to do, is change the narrative and center the voices of black people in history that have been uh, pushed to the margins. And silenced. Well, we're not going to be silent. We're going to keep on keeping on. Up next, we finally hear from Damar yes. Hamlin himself. Uh, an amazing message. Plus, Master P has become a chairman. We'll tell you uh, for which company will we return. I remember he was selling stuff out the trunk. Now, he is the man now. I'm not mad. Usain Bolt demands return of $12.7 million missing from his account at Jamaica's private investment firm, Stocks and Securities Limited. Oh yeah, a client relationship manager and an employee gave a sworn affidavit to the Financial Services Commission confessing to siphoning funds from the firm over the past decade. Now that employee says she started stealing in 2010 to pay for her father's medical expenses, uh, continued during COVID-19 and took from nearly 40 clients, stealing nearly $1 million in total. Uh, the firm suspects other clients may also be missing millions as well. Matt Barnes' feud with his, his fiance's ex-husband, David Patterson Jr., heads to court. Patterson files a lawsuit in Los Angeles alleging battery, assault, and emotional distress by Barnes at a 49ers versus Cowboys game. Patterson claims Barnes spat in his face. 
and threatened him repeatedly, seeking unspecified damages. Now, Barnes was granted a temporary restraining order against Patterson, who must have no contact and stay 100 yards away from Barnes until February 16th. That's when the hearing takes place. Now, Barnes claims that Patterson has harassed and threatened him and aggressively confronted him at the game. Hmm. I remember us first talking about this story and, you know, we, we talked about how sometimes you don't know the other side, although we didn't condone anybody spitting in anybody's face. I remember you mentioning, you know, uh, grown-ups behaving badly mm -hmm. and I'm sure there's, uh, you know, a village of children uh, involved as well. And what kind of example do you want to set for them, especially in this world of social media when the youngest of the young uh, can get to a phone or get to, you know, a social media account and see what they see. So it sounds like it's a, it's a he say, he he say, and they'll have to uh, take it up in court and, and get it cleared up. Yeah, hopefully. And I'm just hoping that you know we can start to see you know more positive examples and center more positive examples, mm -hmm. you know, of folks handling conflict in a healthy way. You know, when I thought about this occurrence, mm -hmm. I couldn't help but think about you know the Oscar slap as the, oh, the, yeah. the Oscars is around yeah. the corner. I'm thinking about the last Oscars mm -hmm. and really how disappointing it was to see you know two grown men that a lot of people look to mm -hmm. um, the way that that was handled. Mm -hmm. uh, and so and you know it's not just them. Yeah. You know, and it's not just you know Barnes and Patterson, but we're seeing just too many examples, uh, and some of it even re resulting in and violence that can be fatal and mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um, I hope that we can turn the corner in this new year. But you know there's there's plenty of examples you know whether we have to kind of dig deep for them or not um, of of co-parenting that, that's being done right that's mm -hmm. being done respectfully and that's being done you know peacefully and you know with with boundaries that are being set with the whole focus being in on um, those those young people who who who, who they share as as parents as, as kids share you know the parents and and uh, so so there are examples of, of good co-parenting going on out there. Maybe we as media don't put it out there as much or we don't see it as much on our on our timelines or in our feeds, but you know, I, there are, you know, groups of people who've been together, the marriages or the relationships mm -hmm. didn't work. There were babies who produced and now they moved on to other relationships and they make it work. Happens and all the time. I your, just want to say that. You're right. And to your point, we can all do better. That's right. Master P expands his empire and on-demand immerse solution launch cart announces appointment of rapper and philanthropist Master P as chairman of the board. Now the platform provides tools for website building, product management, payment processing, and more for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Co-founders Greg Ryder and Bernd Allman welcome Master P saying his experience and leadership will help uh, take the launch cart to the next level. So users can start a free online store on the platform. Congratulations, Master P. And congratulations to Isaiah Thomas. NBA Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas, owner of Sherlin Champagne, announces that Sherlin's arrival at over 100 total wine and more stores nationwide. This hand-harvested first-press grape champagne is now available for purchase both online and in stores and offers zero to low 
added sugar. We love to see that. Mm -hmm. Thomas declares significant brand advancement and uh, eager to expand with uh, a total with total wine and more. Uh, this partnership offers Sherlin the chance to share one of France's top champagnes with U.S. customers in many states, including California and Texas. You Courtney, like you know, low sugar you thing. know, I have been <laughs> on this whole 30 program for a whole couple weeks. You probably still can't. It probably says low sugar, not no sugar. So you probably have to hold off for a minute. But this yeah. is just a great feat. Again, the, we go back to the conversation of, you know, black folks getting into, you know, uh, spirits and the dis distilleries and and really, really beginning to, uh, you know, make our mark on that particular industry where, you know, the percentage of our involvement and ownership and input is very, very uh, small. And uh, we both have connections uh, to uh, to Isaiah Thomas. Mm -hmm. I used to watch him, you know, uh, when he first got to Detroit and running up and down the court at Kobo Arena. Some of my soulmates here in Detroit will remember that. And um, his son, who happens to be, uh, uh, I believe, a friend of yours. Absolutely. Uh, he would remember. Yeah, but back in the day, uh, he was my uh, kid. At a, I was a camp counselor. Oh, wow. And he was what we call a little chickadee. <laughs> <laughs> and so there, there's the connection. You hear that, Josh? Yeah. You hear that, Josh? Courtney <laughs> just called you a little he, chickadee. He was a chickadee. <laughs> Ask mom and dad. They'll remember, indeed. But, you know, Isaiah Thomas, in my opinion, class act, I know there's just, you know, people that there have, you know, been all kinds of different relationships, yeah. up and down relationships with his, you know, um, athletic friends. But as far as Detroit and Isaiah Thomas, you know, class act. We love him. And Isaiah love Thomas him. has really been just an incredible entrepreneur, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. there there aren't a lot of folks that are able to make the transition from, from sports, particularly the sports that they love, mm -hmm. you know, to so many different entrepreneurial endeavors that mm -hmm. they love. And so whether it's, you know, popcorn or champagne or, you know, cannabis, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he has really diversified his portfolio mm -hmm. in terms terms of uh, uh, where his investment lies. And uh, this is just the latest installment. Yeah. And so just another example mm -hmm. for yeah. uh, the other ch little chickadees yeah. to see. That's right. That's right. And he remains a great <laughs> sports commentator and gives great insight that's right. uh, when you talk about the, uh, the game. Speaking of uh, the game, let's switch from basketball to football as Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin is speaking publicly for the first time since suffering cardiac arrest during a game earlier uh, this month. He posted a video on his Instagram thanking everyone who supported and prayed for him in his recovery process. Take a look. I can't tell you how appreciative I am of all the love, all the support, and everything that's just been coming in my way. What happened to me on Monday Night Football, I feel is a direct example of God using me as a vessel to share my passion and my love directly from my heart. Yeah, I watched it a couple times myself. It was just a very well put together message and he delivered it perfectly. Hammond says, uh, Hamlin says he needed to take some time to process all that's happened to him before addressing the public. But as you heard, he's deeply touched by the outpouring of care and concern. Hamlin is still having his heart monitored regularly to make sure there are no setbacks and the outpouring of donations to Hamlin's charity toy drive has raised now more than $9 million for kids. Its original goal quarter lot was just 2500 that's amazing yay we love to report it i love to report it congratulations and, and continued healing to mr hamlin mm -hmm. um, now on the berlin where madame tucson berlin unveils a wax figure of that's right guess who beyonce 
Okay. <laughs> Dressed in icon, her iconic ensemble for her 2018 On the Run 2 tour. This is not the first wax figure of Beyonce and Madame Toussaint, as she has replicas in, get this, London, mm. Hollywood, Delhi, and more. However, this time the beehive seems genuinely pleased with the new statue, with compliments pouring in on social media. Beyonce is also rumored to be preparing for another world tour after performing in Dubai. Now that one looks good. That one right there, that looks amazing. I think they all look good. That looks, but that I, one I, right there? I think they all look good, and I, I love that they, they all um, showcase mm -hmm. uh, different images of Beyonce, sure. right? And I wonder if, if uh, this is some sort of Guinness Book entry, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how many oh. Madame Tussauds wax figures can exist in the world for mm -hmm. uh, an individual on a number of different continents. Or, or just continues to prove how big of, of a mega, mega worldwide superstar uh, she really, really is. And I hadn't noticed until maybe I started combing through, you know, some more of the video from the concert in Dubai. I had heard that she had had foot surgery, but I didn't, I didn't see any of the videos where she was actually having, had a bit of a limp. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this chick is, is unbelievable. She is doing her thing, singing at the, at the, at the top of her best of her best and got a little bit of a limp because she just got out of foot surgery. I was like, hands down. What, how did you say it? Beyonce? Beyonce. Uh, hands down. <laughs> hands down. She's one of the best. Yeah, she She's really one of the is. best. And, and we love watching her. I can't wait to get tickets to that tour. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a good one. There's more Fox O's Black Report coming your way. Can you say Black Excellence? I can say it's Black Excellence. Can you say Black Excellence? Black Excellence. Uh-huh. That's right. Black Excellence. If you say it three times, it'll show up right in front of you. Black Excellence is next, <laughs> and it's filled with entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. You're watching Fossil's Black Report. All right, Soulmates, an 11-year-old boy creates and mm -hmm. produces a family-friendly sitcom about smart kids of color. That's right. Nicholas Buama noticed there weren't shows on TV featuring children of color like himself, so he created one. With the help of his mom, Nicholas hired a team of professionals, scriptwriters, producers, and a director, and began creating his family-friendly sitcom called Nick's House. It's about a savvy 10-year-old who runs a business out of his parents' home, and the chaos ensues when his uncle moves in to become his nanny. Nicholas says he's very proud of how the production turned out and gives credit to the team. That's right, Nickelodeon, Disney, Netflix, Hulu, and BET are just a few of the networks that Nicholas would love for his show to be a part of, wink, wink, uh, maybe even Fox Soul. Uh, Nicholas says he's very optimistic about the future of Nick's house. Very cool. All right, moving on here, a black-owned digital beauty retailer raises millions of dollars to expand its brand. That's right, 13 Loon, a digital platform that supports black and brown-founded beauty brands, recently closed on an $8 million investment. The company has grown fast since starting in 2020 and evolved from an e-commerce platform featuring 13 black-founded brands to now offering 160-plus beauty mm -hmm. brands. 13 Loon is also set to expand into 600 JCPenney locations nationwide 
and open a flagship store in Los Angeles. That's fantastic. All right, 13 Loon founder Nikeo Greco said, quote, as a 20 plus year black beauty entrepreneur, it's an honor to shape the landscape of inclusive beauty, beauty, excuse me, acting as an agent of change for black brand founders to receive recognition and opportunity. And one of her very first uh, investors was uh, Diddy. Really? She was, and uh, her mother is, uh, her, she's from Kenya, um, and her dad was a uh, medicine man. Mm -hmm. uh, mom was a uh, coffee farmer, and she just pulled from all of her family's history and beauty secrets and, and brought those things to, to mainstream. And uh, like we said in the report, the, the company has just grown by leaps and bounds. Now everybody wants in on it, and it is just flourishing. I just, I, yeah. I just love that, you know, the, the spirit of entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. right? There are entrepreneurs, but then there's the spirit behind it. Folks that just get a little bit of inspiration, like the 11-year-old boy that said, mm -hmm. I don't see sitcoms on television that look like me, mm -hmm. that look or like my friends, me. look like my yeah. family, you know? And, you know, this beauty entrepreneur, mm -hmm. you know, who is pulling from family history, family mm -hmm. experiences, mm -hmm. and creating something in the marketplace, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the possibilities are infinite. And I just love that uh, most days we have a chance to amplify their voices and, and tell it. these stories. Yeah, and bring them to, to our soulmates. Yeah. Indeed, black excellence, we love it. Thanks so much for joining us today. I know. That I know. went by quick. It went by quick, <laughs> went by quick. Yeah. Lots of good stories. We're gonna continue to keep our eye oh, yeah. on everything that's developing in Memphis yes, and indeed. beyond. Mm -hmm. Until next time, I'm Nicole Delay Cortez. And I'm Courtney Hicks. Stay, Stay lifted. lifted.